This week on Behind the Message with Daniel and Jennifer, we see government and the gathering. Church membership. And Daniel and I switch seats. And the world ends. <laughs> All right, guys, welcome to our next installment of Behind the Message with Daniel and Jennifer. We are back for another week. Um, Three weeks. We've made it three weeks. We sorry. have. Sorry, that sorry. may have been speaking too soon. Uh, you may have just jinxed it. Um, but anyway, we have enjoyed um, behind the message, hearing from you guys, and um, being able to just kind of dig deeper into scripture together. You're smiling. It makes me nervous when you are getting ready to jump in and say something, so I'm just going to keep talking real fast. <laughs> you guys continue to do this. Send us questions. Um, they actually put the address that you can send questions to, the email address, um, up during the church service on Sunday. So that's pretty fun, and it'll be right here, right now, we'll say that it's gonna be there. So send in your questions. Um, I do wanna absolutely say this. Um, jumping into last week and then this week into the Gospels, moving into the New Testament was terribly exciting for me. Um, it was it was just fresh. Everything came with just a newness to it. So you guys follow the reading plan. The Bible 2020 plan is out there. Um, I took a look at the weekly guide as well, which goes along with um, the reading plan. It goes deeper. It is an amazing tool. Um, people that are putting that together, it, it's absolutely amazing. So we've got the reading plan. We've got the weekly guide out there so you guys can dig into all that. Um, also, one more quick plug. If you guys are not in a life group to walk through um, our reading plan and to walk through the beginning of the New Testament, this is the time to find one. Go online, yeah. find a life group, get plugged in. Yeah, it's weird and awkward. It's COVID, whatever. We have had so many new people. We have a new couple in our life group. Um, we got three starting new couples up. in our life group. It is, it's amazing that we're in quarantine shutdown, kind of, but new people are coming. It's exciting. So don't hesitate to try to find a life group and get plugged in. I have thoroughly loved social distancing on my back porch with my life group and digging in to, to these scriptures. It's been really, really exciting. I want to go back to the, the gospel thing for just a second because you talked about that. So it's not odd to me that to read through the gospels in the middle of the year, but you know, we're in the sermon and we're preaching through yeah. like the Christmas story in August. Yeah. And what it reminds me of is this, it's a few years ago and my daughter was young and uh, I have like an office area downstairs. It's like the middle of the year. I don't remember what time it was. It's like maybe October or something. I don't know. And Lena goes, Dad, are you going to work downstairs today? And I said, probably. And Lena seriously looks me back without hesitation and goes, if you see Jesus, his eyes keep falling out, just be careful. Oh, okay. Yeah, and I was like, <laughs> what? And she goes, never mind, and just walks away. And in that moment, I got like a phone call or got distracted. And the whole time I'm on the phone, I'm just thinking, my, my daughter has problems. <laughs> And so then I go downstairs and then I see this picture. Oh. Yeah. And so she'd made like a whole nativity scene yeah. in the middle of October. Okay. And it just, it was just, it, it seemed odd. I, I love it though. Yeah. And I love the fact that we're coming out of the prophets yeah. and we're seeing the word that becomes flesh. Yeah. The revelation of God made known. And that's just super exciting. So yeah. what got you this week from the sermon? Okay. So this week was, um, was big, it was exciting for me to get into the Gospels, like you said. Um, when Mike preached through Luke um, chapter 1, verse 4 this week, is what stood out to me. And that, that verse says that these things were written, basically, so that you might know the exact truth about the things you have been taught. Um, that blew my mind in a lot of different ways, but I had to go home like the secret closet geek that I am and kind of look up a couple of words. Um, 
And so I looked up that word know, that you may know, and that word literally means to become thoroughly acquainted with or to know thoroughly, like to know inside and out, yeah. to know intimately. And then it says that you may thoroughly become acquainted with the exact truth. And that word exact truth was that you may be thoroughly acquainted with the absolute stability, security, certainty of what you have been taught. Nailed me. And I think here's why. Because if you just go back and peruse the last two behind the messages just for fun and all your free time, in the first one, what got me was margin and time to consider. Yeah. Last week, what got me was I'm too much of a checklist and that becomes my my goal instead of mm. just a means to an end. And this week it was, am I using the margin that I'm to have to yeah. deeply consider things? Am I using my to-do list as a tool in order to place myself in the Word of God, over the Word of God, deeply within the Word of God, on my life? Am I doing that in such a way that I can walk in this time of uncertainty and instability knowing the truth of God's word and being firmly convinced of it. And um, that was really on my heart after the message this weekend. It was it was very powerful for me. It was good. What about you? Uh, just real short, mine was the connection back to God's covenant with David mm. and that the Messiah, Jesus, is the eternal king. Mm. And if you think about that with all the uncertainty that's going on, to just be reminded that God is sovereign. Yeah. And when he speaks to David, he knows he's sending his son. And he knows his son is mm. the fulfillment of that. Mm -hmm. And there wasn't a second in that time frame that was out of place. Yeah. And I, I think in days where I get anxious or whatever else, or just thinking about all that's going on and all that needs to be going on and all that kind of stuff, and I just get lost and in my mind. And lovely election season coming up. Oh, is... man. To just be reminded God is sovereign. Yeah. And to see that in our salvation and mm -hmm. our deliverance and the sending of his son mm -hmm. was just a great reminder. Yeah. So Yeah, that's great. Now what we get to do now, which is what we try to do every week, is we're going to have a segment um, where whoever teaches that week gets to come in, kind of recap the sermon. If you haven't had a chance to watch it already, it's a quick review of that. Uh, but anyway, so this week we get to have my hubby, Mike, come in and don't do it. He's going to do the prices right I'm, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. I'm also going to sit between you guys, so like like the old school PDA monitor. We're going to make sure that happens too. Because <laughs> we are always guilty of PDA. That's yeah, I'm just saying. Do. Yeah, my children are going to watch this. Are you ready really for it? Are you ready for it? What? Here it comes. Mike Lauren, come on down. <laughs> All right, so sermon recap. Let's talk about that. It was a lot of fun this week. I, I called it kind of a pivot week, spending all this time in the Old Testament, and then we were able to jump into the New Testament this week. And Hebrews was really helpful to kind of set the direction of that that really helped us understand God after uh, speaking long ago to the fathers in many portions and in many ways, which was really a summary of what we've been doing through the Old Testament. Now, verse 2 of that Hebrews passage says, Now he has spoken in his Son. So it's really a, a great way to say, all right, we're going to set our focus on the Lord Jesus as the ultimate full revelation of who God is and just uh, really the anticipation of that and joy of that. So Luke, Gospel of Luke, we jumped into that and Luke painstakingly as a uh, really a, almost like an investigator goes about compiling all of these 
eyewitness accounts and pulls in scripture from the past, obviously under the inspiration of the Spirit of God, and delivers to us what he says, this account of who Jesus is so that we may have certainty. And then those first two chapters were just, I thought, incredible of so many witnesses from the angels to Mary to Jesus himself to all of that coming together again that we could have certainty that Jesus is who he says he is and everything we are and we say as believers is based on that. So Luke takes great time to say, you know, even in that Luke 1, 32 and 33 section, he declares support from the Old Testament, all these testimonies that Jesus is the Son of God and the vast importance of that. And then he declares Jesus to be the son of David and how significant that is that when you're talking about Jesus, all God, all man. And then he's this king who his kingdom will reign forever and ever. And the significance of that, again, coming out of the Old Testament and seeing all these kingdoms that rise and fall, every earthly kingdom will rise and fall. But here's Jesus who know his kingdom will endure forever. And then finally, to the shepherds, the angels appear and declare to them of all the people on the planet that get the first message that the Messiah is born were these lowly, dirty, skanky, rotten shepherds out in the field. And this angel comes and declares to them uh, that there is born for you, for you, this day in the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. So that's the, the, the fourth thing. The, the Savior is born, who is Christ, the Messiah, the Lord. And then just some obvious takeaways for us in that were that this Jesus who is revealed here is worthy. That was just the thought over and over. It's worthy of our worship, and he is worthy for us to make him known here to the ends of the earth. And that was just a, just a really great, I think, kickoff to our time in the New Testament. So, yeah, it's quick. Quick recap. I think that the idea you're talking about with Luke as an investigator, mm. you know, mm -hmm. presenting Jesus being made known yeah. to these different people and how that plays out. You look at that in parallel with John, who doesn't come as, a, as an investigator, but still in John 1, his introduction to Jesus <laughs> is the Word. Yeah. You know, we've been in the Old Testament, we've been through the prophets, and the Word of God to his yeah. people spoken, right, and delivered through these prophets. The Word of God becomes flesh. Yeah. This perfect revelation of who God is yeah. walks among us. And so then you have these accounts that Luke gives testimony of that and the implications of that. And then that brings you back to like those shepherds mm -hmm. and the responsibility mm -hmm. to live and to act with that revelation being made known to you. Yeah. And I thought, I thought you did a good job of pulling that out. I mean, if you're those guys, I mean, the overwhelming responsibility of the God-man being made known to you and that, that revelation entrusted to you, because they're, they're sitting here going, I'm no prophet. That's right. I'm a shepherd. That's right. But it's on them now. Yeah. For some reason, that particular passage stood out so much to me that I really don't think those guys ever got over the fact that God has made known to them. You know, over and over it was to us he has made this known. Let us go tell this that has been made known to us. And just the word of privilege was there in the sense they were privileged to really be the first evangelists in the New Testament. It was told to them, he's here, go tell about it. And of course they go to the manger and they tell Mary and Joseph all that they've been told. And just that beautiful picture of this they knew they didn't deserve that. 
that's what so caught me, the picture of grace. These guys, they weren't royalty, they weren't priesthood, they weren't the preachers, prophets of the day, to your point at all. These were lowly shepherds. They knew they were scummy, dirty, scuzzy. But God's grace comes to them. They just never got over that. And then they couldn't, could not stop talking about it. So just the beauty of that, you know, the, the prayer was, Lord, don't let us ever get over the overwhelming reality that I'm so undeserving to ever even hear the message of the gospel, much less to hear it like we in the Bible Belt over and over and over and over. And didn't even say this Saturday night on the video, but it struck me thinking in the middle of that, let's keep in mind, there's 3 billion people on the planet who've never heard it once. Mm -hmm. And there's 1.3 billion people on the planet who will never hear it in their lifetime because they don't live close enough to any believer who can ever even get access to them to tell them. Those numbers are staggering. So, yeah, they, they never got over that, the shepherds. Do, yeah. do you have any other unique adjectives to add to the description of the, the shepherds? In um, I haven't heard the word scuzzy in, in a while, probably since That's like the fourth grade Bible. or something. Is that the living translation? Well, um, I mean, this makes this this is going to take behind the message to at least PG thirteen. But before we had skanking, we had, I wasn't you, gonna not, say you weren't going to go there, but that was part of it too. It I mean, was we're, part we're of just it again. we're owning it. We keep it real at behind the message. He dug deep into the thesaurus <laughs> online to come up with this. <laughs> yeah, the nineteen eighties thesaurus. Yeah, it was good stuff. It was good. That was good. Well, we're going to transition. We're going to go into a. a segment this week that's actually really interesting and we um, have a lot of feedback to give and that's in our mailbox segment. So we're going to flip over to that real fast. Thanks. All right, so in our mailbox this week, we had a couple of interesting questions that we wanted to take the time to hit. And we have brought in Pastor Paul Mermiliad um, to help with our <laughs> mailbox this week. I don't know if that means that Daniel and I can't handle it, that we needed backup. Probably that's what that meant. I, I'm still wanting questions to come in on the mailbox, like really hard questions marked for Jennifer. That needs to happen. No, we discussed that already. So no. question number one. Guys, don't <laughs> let me down. Make that happen. The first question that came in was this, and I'm going to read it, and I'm going to pitch it to these guys, and it's this. With growing government pressure for churches to not meet due to COVID, why not just meet in house churches? And this had been noticed on social media and kind of wanted our thoughts on that. So what do you guys think about that? Yeah, I'll, I'll jump in, and it's a good question. I think it's a question a lot of people are, are wrestling with right now, and there's a lot to that question. So I'll try to be as succinct as I can. You, you can clean it up. Um, so uh, government pressure, so that's part of the question. So I think the, the starting point would be, you know, what do we do with the government pressure when it comes to things like COVID? And without taking a whole lot of time that's there. You know, scripture speaks very clearly that God has given the government for the good of all people and for the good of believers. Uh, you can go to Romans 13 or 1 Peter 2, it talks about that. But it says that we are to honor the government, honor the emperor, but we fear God. And so when we look at things like they're happening in our country, in the places and the state governments where you have the government trying to work alongside the church mm -hmm. and asking things of the church not to suppress our freedom of religion, we want to try to work in line as much as we can. But then there are other states like in Nevada and New York and some others where the government is forbidding or saying that churches, you're, you're not essential and you cannot meet. We will allow bars or restaurants other things, but the church is not. And so in those points, we fear God over honoring the emperor. And so I think it's a lot bigger than just East Tennessee and what we feel here and how we respond to government pressure. So I think that's one part we have to think wisely about, okay, 
what are we being asked to do? What are we obligated by scripture and by God to do? Then specifically on the house church question, um, there's a lot of, that we could talk about, um, but it's really important when we come and we look at God's word that, that we recognize what is descriptive and what is prescriptive. So what is descriptive? So what, what do we just see happen in scripture versus what are we commanded to do in scripture? And so when we look at the early church, especially in the book of Acts, we do see house churches, uh, but it's never given as a prescriptive command. This is how you should meet. Um, it's, it just it happens organically because that's the way the early church began. That's where they could meet. Um, I want to tell you something just real quick while you're there, and then we'll let you come back to that thought. Yeah. So one of the things I've noticed, like it, this person sent a picture of somebody like on social media that has sent all these verses essentially that right. just clearly prescribes house churches in their mind. Yeah. But like, for example, in the descriptive, prescriptive, none of them are prescriptive. A lot of those verses that they gave, they're not even talking about the gathering of the church. Right. Uh, it's something else. And then where it is mentioned, they're throwing out a lot of other descriptive things yeah. and not calling for that prescription. So, for example, in Acts 2, they met day by day. Right. So they're not saying we need to meet daily. Uh, they were selling all their possessions and holding all things in common. They're not asking us to do that either. And then they're omitting the some of them, like in Acts 5, they gathered in the temple, and it's even referenced in the same verse, right. but they're just holding out that one thing. So what they're doing is they have this preference, this design. They're taking descriptive passages, they're taking the parts that they want, and they're just pushing for those things. Right. And that's a really important thing that you're talking about in our systematic theology that allows us to figure out really what's wise course of action in setting like this, to know the difference between thou shalt and a descriptive freedom that's kind of anchored in that wisdom. And so that, that thing he's talking about in description and prescription is really important for things like this. Yeah, exactly. Totally agree with that. And so we, we have to look at it. Is this prescriptive? Is it descriptive? And you have to acknowledge that both are happening in Scripture. There are these massive gatherings. The church grows to thousands within a few days. And they are meeting together in that large context in the temple. Um, even the first one. Even the first, the first one's yeah. 120 people. Before the, the 3,000 are added, there's 120 people there. That's not like two families getting together in their house and calling themselves a church. That's 120 people there. Yeah. Anyway, that's a, lot of, that's a lot of people. That is a lot of people. And that brings up a really good point. So when we think about house church, this is not an individual family hanging out together and having church. These are multiple families. In fact, even the household in the New Testament Greek Roman culture would have been your, your house, your family, your extended family, your slaves, everyone who's part of your business. Houses weren't on one acre over here, another <laughs> acre over here. They're all together. So this is a large community of people in a house church. And so even for Tri-Cities, when we think about, okay, how do we love people well through gathering? We recognize that we can facilitate social distancing much better here yeah. than I can in my living room with 30 people. Mm -hmm. Like, And so if I want to serve and help teach, and we could go into all the details of the church, or the scripture doesn't prescribe the house church versus large gathering, but it does prescribe that a church has to have a certain sort of leadership. Mm -hmm. So do you have elders? Are they qualified? Are, you know, do you have deacons of this house church? Do they meet, the, meet those biblical qualifications? We go through that. Well, most churches couldn't be a house church that would want to say that. So mm -hmm. I think we have to be careful where we're pushing the text outside its bounds. Mm -hmm. And we also have to be really careful, and this is the last thing I'll say, 
to go to social media and try to prescribe something for all churches everywhere sure. mm -hmm. by bending scripture. The Bible has a lot more directly to say about pursuing unity, mm -hmm. showing patience, kindness, long-suffering. Mm -hmm. And just to go online and kind of say this is what everyone should do or this is wrong, I think is a lot more out of bounds mm -hmm. with the clear commands of Scripture versus something like house church versus large church. And I think house churches can be good and can be biblical, and there are people pursuing that in a good way, but one's not right and one's wrong. Mm -hmm. We want to be faithful yeah. to Scripture and how we pursue it. Yeah. And, and that was the way that the question came in. It was like, um, is this the right thing and then therefore is the, the larger gathering the wrong thing? And I think we've got to realize those are some wisdom yeah. issues. Anything to add? In that? Well, you I want 120 people at the house church at the Lawrence house around the pool? I feel like I have 120 people <laughs> in my house most days. Anyway, so we had another question come in if, as if that one wasn't deep enough. We have another question that came in that said this. Um, and this kind of pinged off of part of our conversation um, last week, so we'll get into that a little bit. But the question was, if I'm in a life group, I've signed up for challenging conversations. So how is that different from church membership? That was the question that came in. And that was kind of talking about um, some of the conversation we had last week revolved around um, challenging, calling one another out. Yeah. Um, anyway, so I won't go into a whole lot of that right now. But this question is about how is being part of a life group and being committed then to open, honest communication and challenging one another, um, how is that different? Isn't that the same thing as being a member of a church, church yeah. membership? I love this question. So I was long this in the last one. So I'll be, I'll, be, I'll be precise. I'll, I'll try to be precise <laughs> in this one. So the thing that happens in that, I think we were talking in terms about community, and most of us live our relational community through life groups yeah. and smaller circles. So at Tri-Cities, we're a larger church. There's a 1,000 people. You don't know everyone even right. in that. And so there's a part in which most of that is experience. Mm -hmm and kind of a natural facilitated experience to discipleship and community. Once we sign up and say we are part of a local church, that means something. Mm -hmm. And so once we identify with the local assembly of believers, uh, at Tri-Cities we hold up these things called membership promises, mm -hmm. but really all that is is a collection of scriptures that clearly prescribe and call the church to respond to one another and the Lord in a certain way and say, we're going to collectively pursue these things together. Mm -hmm. Promises aren't guarantees, we're broken people. And so, you know, we pursue our promises. So we've all made promises to our kids, hey, Tuesday we'll do this. And then it rains and you can't do that. And they understand it means you're pursuing it as best you can. Mm -hmm. That's what we mean in our promises. And so when we give those promises to one another, one of those is community, mm -hmm. that we're gonna to come together in community. So 1 Thessalonians 5.14 gives a really simple definition of community. It says admonish the idle, which mm -hmm. is what we're talking about. Encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, and be mm -hmm. patient with them all, which right. sometimes is the hardest part. So what that means is when we sign up for membership, I'm signing up for encouragement, admonishment, correction, teaching, challenge, like all those things. Uh, support, yeah. people to mourn with me when I mourn, laugh with me when I laugh, and I'm also signing up to provide that for other people. Mm -hmm. And so as I see those needs in the lives of my brothers and sisters, I am compelled to act. Mm -hmm. Will I get it right every time? I won't, but I'm compelled to. So the truth is it's the church membership that's the driving factor of that, mm -hmm. not the life group. But the life group at Tri-Cities, yeah. as we facilitate that community, is the place where it will be more personally yeah. experienced. That's the vehicle that we use yeah, to, right. to promote that, to push that out, and um, cannot say enough about about life groups mm -hmm. and how important they are. Yeah, that's it's 
it's a big deal. And yeah. I think the only thing I would add is, you know, all that. So membership and life group, they go together. I, I think we have to always question our default. And my default is going to be to only want to be with people who are like me mm -hmm. or who think like-minded with me. Mm -hmm. And so it's easy for me to kind of think, okay, my life group is where that happens, but it shouldn't happen outside of this group of people yeah. who I know and am known by. And the truth is we need the whole body. Mm -hmm. Like the whole membership is not like Sam's Club. Membership is the picture of the member of the finger and the toe and like it's the body together. And Ephesians 4 is really clear, like every church, every individual local church, God has given everything to that body that it needs to be conformed to the image of Christ. And so that life group cannot exist in and of itself. It needs the entire body. Mm -hmm. It's just a format, a vehicle, to use your words, a, a means by which we pursue a deeper level of engagement and accountability. But we need the entire body. And we recognize that a church like Tri-Cities, sometimes that's harder because it is a larger body yeah. of believers. But that's why the gathering and different groups and means of service are ways for us to get outside of just our life group. Mm -hmm. So we need the life group. You need that kind of community. But you also need the whole body. Um, and that's one of the reasons why we pursued the gathering and these other means together. And you might have some questions uh, about membership. So one of the questions that we often get is, well, I don't see the word membership in Scripture. A lot of those questions and what that means at Tri-Cities get unpacked. And so if you'll go to tcbchurch.org slash discover, mm -hmm. there's all kinds of information there that will help you understand what we're talking about, how we view membership, and why it's important. And mm -hmm. to speak to that one quick thought, there are so many charges given to the church for one another. You can't facilitate that unless you know who one another are. Yeah, right. Like you've got to be committed to one another. Yeah. There's the acknowledgement of that, of I identify with this local assembly. And that's really the heart behind membership. You could call it anything, but we identify here as Tri-Cities Baptist Church and that assembly of believers. All right, so this had a second question attached to it. All right, so I'm going to read the next one. Yeah. Uh, Jennifer somewhat explains this statement by saying, I think uh, challenging without a relationship platform comes across uh, crosses over into legalism. Mm -hmm. This is going back to our last behind the message. This seems inconsistent with biblical examples such as the prophets, Jesus, or the apostles. Mm -hmm. So I think what they're saying is yeah. they're talking here about the, they spoke without some of these relationship right. platforms. So what did you mean by that and how much of a relationship platform do we need to lovingly challenge our brothers and sisters? Yeah. And, and this was a great question. And in a way, it was a loving challenge toward me. Um, what I, what I, my answer last week to the question or my comment to the question last week um, did have to do with um, legalism and sometimes um, rebuke and challenge is best delivered, is, is a little bit tastier, I guess, um, if there's a relationship there, if there's a relationship platform there. Um, but it what I probably should have said in a clarifying way was that if you are in a conversation with someone and there is no real relationship there and you make a confrontational statement or you call out something or you question something in someone's life, that can appear legalistic. It can appear, it can appear like you're getting up in somebody's business. However, it also doesn't change the mandate and the command that we have as believers in Jesus, that we are called to the one another's, that we are called, yes, in those places that we have friendships and relationships and um, those platforms exist. Yes, we're called to speak truth to one another. 
but outside of those platforms, we're also called to encourage and to challenge and to rebuke with gentleness um, people that are in that are within the body of Christ, and um, we're called to uphold truth within those environments. So, um, could it appear? Um, more difficult to take if you're speaking to someone that maybe you don't have as much of a relationship or a friendship with? Yeah, it could. And we need to go in with wisdom and say, okay, I, I may need to approach this with great gentleness because we don't have that kind of a, of a friendship yet. Um, could it appear that way? Sure. You see that happen with the prophets in the Old Testament, that oh. gentleness. Like they'll, they'll be asked a question. They know they're not, the person is not going to receive that well. And they're like, listen, yeah. I King, I, I really don't want to offend yeah. you. Like you see them do that yeah. all the time. There is the wisdom to understand yeah. how it's going to be heard. Right. And you also see, and we were talking about this earlier, you also see um, the people sometimes where you're going to have the most conflict with and, and the hardest time speaking truth to are sometimes, most of the times, the people that you're closest to. Um, like we talked about, where is a prophet not received in his hometown? Um, who did Jesus use the most patience and gentleness with? Unbelievers. Who did he speak the most direct and the harshest to? Um, his disciples and or the religious leaders of the day. So um, I, I think there is, of course, opportunity in close relationships and within that platform to share difficult truth and to be ready to receive that difficult truth back. Um, but outside of that platform, we are just as called with just as much gentleness um, to share truth, always saturated by scripture. I think that's what went over and over and over in my mind is um, another reason to push into the word of God so that our words are saturated with the truth of scripture um, when we speak to other people, both in friendships and those that are just acquaintances that we just know within the body. And then I just wanna read a few verses. This is from Colossians. Uh, Colossians chapter 1, um, so this is a passage that we know. Verse 26 says, The mystery hidden for ages and generations has now been revealed to the saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is this, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone, so that's an admonishment word, teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Yeah. So everyone is not every unbeliever because yeah. we're not going to present unbelievers mature in Christ. Mm -hmm. Those are within the family of God. We warn, we teach. And then in the next chapter, the Apostle Paul says, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body, and be thankful. And verse 16 says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your heart mm -hmm. to God. So we like to think about singing psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, but right alongside of that, he says, admonishing one another yeah. with thankfulness mm -hmm. that we get to challenge one another, that we get to correct one another, we get to call, because this is what admonishment is. You're not seeing God rightly. Mm. You're not pursuing, pursuing Jesus fully. So it is a joy to call a brother or sister back into the right pursuit of Jesus. Like that should bring joy yeah. to our heart and joy to their heart, because we're not trying to just correct them to correct them. Mm -hmm. We want them to love God with their all, mm -hmm. and we get to help them do mm -hmm. that. And so if I'm just coming at it like, I don't agree with you, then my heart's probably not right. Yeah. But if my motivation is to help you love and follow Jesus in an area where maybe you are in sin or you're not seeing rightly, that is an act of a joyful response mm -hmm. that I get to have yeah. to a brother or sister. So don't see it as a negative thing. See it as, as a means of grace yeah. in someone's life. One, one practical application to this for you guys, and then 
uh, we're going to move to the next section. So when you think about this, we tend to think about us being the admonisher, the that's one right. who's, go I, don't, I don't even know if that's a word, I'm, make, I'm making it a word, but the one who goes to admonish. It's better yes. than some of mine's words. It, it was, it's, yeah. it's better than some of the words he's received. That's yeah. right. Yeah. So I want, to, I want to change the way you think about first applying this, and I want to challenge you to think of creating an environment of grace that welcomes you to be admonished. Yeah among your friends and your life group, welcome their correction and create an environment where that is normal in your life. And as the people around you see you take that correction, take that admonishment, take that counsel and not get offended, but welcome it because it grows us yeah. deeper into who Christ, uh, who, who the, the example of Christ in our life. In that, we will have more of a change than if you just go out and say, who am I going to admonish today? <laughs> Don't think of it that way. Think, how can I take admonishment and how can I create yeah. that environment of grace? Yeah. And, and in our life group, personally, this is hard because I'm a pastor and an elder yeah. at our church. And so I, I have to almost on Are a people afraid of you? Sometimes. <laughs> Are you intimidating? I don't want to be. I'm like Katie's a teddy not. bear. It's okay. You're not like a teddy bear. No one thinks you're like a teddy bear. But I, I have to say that. I have to my eye group say, You're a scuzzy I need teddy bear. You. No. Uh, <laughs> I need you. If you see anything that seems out of step with my life, please ask me about yeah. it. Please call me out. And, and so having that, being willing to say that. But then secondly, I think a way that we foster it is I have to be quick to confess my sins to my life group where I failed as a parent, where I failed as a husband, as a Jesus follower, ask that they would forgive me, ask that they would pray for me in areas I'm trying to grow in. That creates a more open mm -hmm. posture for someone to correct yeah. you. So All super, super unnatural. Yes. <laughs> All of it is super unnatural. So the mailbox this week was um, had some deep stuff in it, but that's all right. We can take it. So you guys, they can take it. We'll bring in the big guns. Um, you guys go online, send in some more questions, and, um, and we'll look forward to what's coming up next in the mailbox. All right, we, we have a family news section. It's a pretty cool uh, update about things that are happening in our church. And this week, we've got an interview with one of our interns. Did you know we have interns? I did know that. It's pretty cool. It is. It's exciting. And so Allie is from Indiana. Uh, I got connected with her through... Uh, <laughs> now she's always going to be known as Allie from Indiana. Allie, Allie, Allie from Indiana. <laughs> anyway, so in just a moment, you're going to get to see an interview with Allie to get to know her. As you see her around our church, welcome her, uh, connect with her. It's hard to move to a place where you don't know anyone. So this is just a little way to introduce her, uh, get you to get to know her calling and kind of what the Lord's doing in her life. And so in just a moment, keep watching after we close out in prayer and get that family news update and get to know Allie a little bit. So... We'll kick it back to you. Yeah. Close this out in a word of prayer. Yeah, I'm going to close this out in a portion of Luke chapter 1. Just going to pray over our church family um, as we end. And again, you all just stay tuned for a little bit after this prayer for our family news segment. And let me pray for us. Father God, I thank you um, so much for your word this week. Um, Lord, I thank you for um, the New Testament. Lord, the new covenant, the advent of your son. Um, praise you for the salvation that you have brought for us. Um, and Lord, as it says in Luke chapter 1, um, he will be great. And Lord, we praise you today. You are great. You will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord will give him the throne of his father David. Lord, you will reign over the house of Jacob forever. 
of your kingdom, there will be no end. You are great. You are mighty. You are wonderful. We praise you for who you are. Um, pray in this, your mighty name. Amen. Hello, church family. Courtney here. Today, we're here with Allie. Hi. Allie, tell us a little bit about yourself. I am a college student from Indiana, and I am here on a six-month internship. Uh, I'm at Huntington University in Huntington, Indiana. So why are you doing an internship? So for my, I'm a triple major, triple minor, and so in order to graduate, I have to um, do an